Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. I'm really, really excited because it's so nice to see people on the front lines of certain specific issues that aren't being addressed enough from the pulpit. And it does seem, and not just from the pulpit, even from apologetic channels and so forth, that I really follow and love. And so to see someone, and you were just walking around, so forth, and we got two books in our hands, Torahism and Divergence. And I'm excited to talk about these because this is such an important issue going on in the church and literally taking people out of the church and it has to do with as some people may call it um, Hebrew roots uh, and you know some Torah observant as and you've coined this phrase Torahism so maybe just give me a background on why you're calling this Torahism when it's talking about specifically uh, Christians and what they're required to keep in terms of the law sure yeah so so there's a wide range I think we were just talked about there's not a monolithic one doctrine but it all falls under the concept of, the, the thread of it is the fact that they, this is a group of people that teach that Christians, so Christ followers, are required to keep the law of Moses. They call it Torah. I, there's some te- technical terminology differences we need to talk through, but I, kinda, I said I can't call you all, I need to call something, you know, I needed a name to describe this, this concept, this theological idea of keeping the law of Moses that was given to Israel at Sinai today as a follower of Yeshua or, or Jesus. And so I came up with the word Torahism, and it's not, I have to, I have to always add this, it was, it's not intended to be derogatory. It's like, it's like calling someone a Christian or a Jew or a, a Muslim. It's a description of kind of their belief system, and it's just kind of like an easy way to describe what we know as Hebrew roots movement or Torah keeping or Torah observant Christianity or uh, Messianic Christianity. So it goes, on, goes by a bunch of different names. That's what I mean by Torahism. No, and, and I think it's important for people to understand that this is something that is becoming more and more popular, specifically channels on YouTube like 119 Ministries right, or yeah. Unlearn uh, the Truth. Or, Unlearn the Lies. There you go, not the truth. <laughs> Unlearn the Lies. And a lot of these channels are very, very popular. A lot of people are watching them, and they're being told, hey, what you've been getting taught is not true right. to the Bible. And so maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Is Why do you believe this is such a growing phenomenon that we're seeing where a lot of people are going in onto these channels? They got a ton of followers, they get a ton of views, and it's very popular within Christianity. So what is the reason for this phenomenon? Good question. I, I have some theories that haven't been confirmed, but and I've actually done on my YouTube channel, I've, I've in a friendly way, uh, disassembled uh, 119 Ministries, uh, Lex Meyer from, from Unlearn the Lies, because they, they, what they teach sounds so believable. So I think what happens is, what I've seen, number one, 100% of what I call Torahists or, or Torah keepers are Christian, former Christians or current Christians, depending on what they want to label themselves, that are Gentile. So that's one big distinction. And what they're looking for, I believe, on the good side is we want to understand the ancient roots of our faith. And so they, and Yeshua HaMashiach, right? Jesus was the Jewish Messiah in a Jewish culture. Uh, 
he was foretold of in the Hebrew Bible. So all of that's great. And I, like, like Augustine said, you know, the, the, the old is in the new revealed. The new is in the old concealed. In other words, the New and Old Testaments are a, one continuous story. So, so there's the good side of, of Torahism, which is let's pursue some of these roots of our faith and understand where Jesus came from and what it means. There's so many amazing things to un- uncover. Like last, like, well, I may probably do it again this year, but last year I had a you know, Jewish Passover with a Messianic family, and to see Christ in that was amazing. It was just enlightening. But what, what happens with Torahism is that the pendulum swings too far. Now, I don't know if it's because of uh, disillusionment with the shallowness of some Christian, not all churches, there's many, many great churches out there, but we all know those churches that kind of do self-help sermons, right? And so I think some people are sitting there thinking, I know there's more to this, and they want to dig deeper, and so they're very open to someone saying, same Bible, same God, same story of redemption, but let me show you all the stuff you can't see at your daily, at your weekly church, you know what I mean? So there's a little bit of that. There's some biblical literacy, I think, that, that contributes to it. My number one thing I tell anyone is, read the Bible. Anything that they tell you, that a Torahist would tell you, read it, and then read it in context. So don't just read that sentence that they're showing you, or one verse or whatever, know what the book's about, know who he's writing to, know who the intended author was trying to speak to, half the time that fixes it. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it now. They wasn't talking about such and such, now that I see it in context. So, but that, you would think that would be, I would, I would hope churches are teaching this concept of reading things in context. So part of it's biblical literacy, and there's also just, you know how there's conspiracy theories, right? <laughs> yeah. So some people are just like, I know something seedy happened in the ancient you know, in the early church at the Council of Nicaea, Constantine, something happened back there. It was a, a power grab. It was anti-Semitism. It was all this stuff that they want to uh, import, smuggle into what they understand about what really happened at the Council of Nicaea. You know what I mean? And so there's, the, there's a sense of, uh, I don't know, scandal yeah. that this appeals to, you know? Yeah, the, uh, the Council of Nicaea is the greatest boogeyman in history. Oh, my history. gosh, yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, I kind of touched on it in that book. Yeah. Evidence, you want to I mean, any sort of field you go on, we can go back to there. But right. it is, as you said, you know, th- this is really interesting, the biblical literacy. And this has become obviously a problem, you know. It just, you know, and it's so sad, you know, we have uh, information. We all have Bible apps on our phone. Right. It's We have it at the, at the drop of a dime, period. You have your Bible. But it does seem that a lot of people are so taken aback the first time they hear some of these accusations. And it's interesting. I had just heard Dennis Prager, and the first thing he did in front of a Christian audience was ask, well, let me ask you guys, how many here keep the Sabbath? And it was very, it was sad because there were a lot of, it was supposed to be mostly Christian room where most of the Christians, they didn't know which way to put their hand. So I guess it's a great time to ask that question because, I mean, this is probably one of the more vehement groups in terms of when we post something uh, against the, the teachings of you know, the the Hebrew roots, or so to speak, and a lot of times they can get pretty angry on there, but specific to the Sabbath. Uh, And I want to know what you you would say. Would you raise your hand, one, that you keep the Sabbath, and what does a New Testament, New Covenant believer, what does it require of them in keeping the Sabbath, so to speak? Oh, my. Okay. So, first of all, how much time do we have? Because this is a very detailed and nuanced thing. You can't simply say the fourth commandment's gone and Christians have no relationship to it anymore. So there's that, but so, and I go into this in, in a lot of detail in a couple of my recent videos too, but 
the, I'll just kind of mark the big points that I think we need to be aware of. Number one is the Sabbath in its legal form was given to Israel as the terms of the Sinai Covenant. So the, the Ten Commandments were the terms in, in Deuteronomy 28, right? You keep these, you'll be blessed. You break them, you'll be cursed. And so the Sabbath was given uh, as part of that. Now, when I say Sabbath, I want to distinguish between the legal Sabbath, which means on the seventh day you will do no work, you will light no fires in your house, the death penalties to be enforced if you, if you defame it. Um, that's kind of the legal perspective that this was given to the Sabbath. Now, a lot of times what they'll say is, the, the typical, sorry if I'm painting with a broad brush, but typical tourist will say, no, 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 the Sabbath started at creation. Creation week was the Sabbath. So they are correct, obviously. God rested on the seventh day. But he didn't go back to work again on the eighth day. It's, it's not the same kind of Sabbath we have weekly. The Sabbath we're given in the, in the Mosaic Law is a gift, first of all. It's a gift of rest to say, look, he, and he ties it to both creation and the Exodus. So what he's saying is, in this overarching story of redemption, we're going to return to the rest that I really had on, this, on the seventh day of creation in the garden with man. God and man rested together, and then we screwed it up, right? We, we sinned, so that got wrecked. So now God's saying, in the future, and we see this at the end of the book in Revelation, God's rest is coming back. So Sabbath meaning rest, God says to the Israel, I want you to get you a taste of it right now. I want you to be able to enjoy, rest with me. You're coming out of slavery. I want you to know that one day a week, you don't need to work for anything. You don't need to strive and toil and all that stuff. So it was given as a sense, as a foretaste of the rest in God. Now, when Jesus came along, and we see, I have a whole video on this about the Sabbath in Hebrews, which is so fascinating, because he ties it in with the fact that God calls his rest, he calls his promised land his rest. And he told the Israelites who were disobedient, that who didn't have faith, they shall not enter my rest. They shall not enter my Shabbat in the, in the promised land. And so now the author of Hebrews picks up on that idea in the New Testament and says, Jesus, it's the same thing. If you don't have faith, you're going to miss, you're not going to get into God's rest in Christ. Because what did Jesus say? He said, you know, all you who are weary and, you know, heavy burdened, come to me and find rest. So our rest, in a very real sense, is in Jesus. Now, what I would also add, though, is that there is wisdom and beauty and a gift if we take a weekly rest. It's the cadence of life that God kind of created, right? So Christians celebrated on, typically on, I mean, it's not like that anymore. I remember my grandpa telling me stories about, like, in the 40s, like, no one was even mowing their lawn on a Sunday. They were, that was God's, the Lord's day. We're, we're missing that a little bit. But there's a gift for us to be able to relax. Dennis Prager ex explains it really well. To rest in God and know he's the creator of the universe. He'll provide everything I need. I don't need to strive. Now, we do that out of love, not some sort of ritual obedience today, right? So we rest because we love God, we trust God, and it's an expression uh, like of the relationship that we're in rather than a ritual checking the, check the list, you know, and oh, oh sundown, I got to hurry up, you know. This freedom that we have in Christ is so, in my mind, under attack by Torahism that they start, in like the Judaizers in the, old, you know, in the New Testament, they start re, trying to reapply those laws. Like, what did Christ die for then, you know? We don't, we, don't do the, we don't do the sacrifices. We don't do the, you know, we're the temple now, you know? So things have changed. And um, so anyway, yeah. Long oh, I think, no, it's so important for people to really grasp that and see that. And I think 
This is so, so vital for us to understand. Because as you said, there's some, it's not monolithic right. when, it, when it comes to every Torah observant person in terms of what they believe. But the Sabbath is one, whether it's Seven Day Adventist or so forth, the Sabbath is one that is very specific. Right. Uh, and th this is a perfect example, and maybe you can speak to this. They would say, hey, you know, if you're throwing away the fourth commandment, so to speak, rather than actually being in that rest, as you said, Hebrews 4 speaks about, and you're throwing that away, Jesus said he came not to abolish the law, right. but to fulfill it. So how, Robert, on earth are you telling me that he's not abolishing that law and he's ultimately fulfilling it if you're not keeping it? Yeah, well, that's the point. He, we fulfill it by resting in him, right? By trusting in him. And what's interesting too, this is a, there's a nuance here that happens. So I've got this phrase, permitted but not required. Meaning, this is why Paul could keep the, keep the commandments, why the apostles could go to the, even after Jesus died and, and ascended, they're still kind of keeping them, those mosaic traditions or going to synagogue because it was never forbidden. If you want to keep Saturday Sabbath, there's nothing wrong with that. You're free in Christ to do that. The pro where the problem happens is when you start telling me or any Christian, you're walking in sin and you're walking in lawlessness because you're doing this kind of a thing. So when they say, so Matt, you mentioned Matthew 5, 17 through 20, that whole section, that's, a, that's like a proof text, right? What's interesting is later in Luke, after Jesus is resurrected, he actually talks and he says, I told you, that, that all of the law and the prophets and the Psalms, matter of fact, it's the only place where he uses all three of those designations, will be fulfilled in me. And he tells his disciples, you were eyewitnesses to it. Like, it's happened. So his resurrection is the fulfilling of the law that he, he talked about in Matthew 5. And so now, how do we, under this new covenant, how do we now keep his commandments, right? Because you'll notice Jesus never says, if you love me, you'll keep the Torah, or you'll keep God's commandments or the commandments, you'll keep my commandments. So what did Jesus command us to do? And this is interesting and super controversial, so I hope you get lots of viewers for this, but nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus or anyone else prescribe the keeping of the Saturday Sabbath. They talk about all the other nine of the, of the, of the Big Ten, uh, but that's the Sabbath, is the, the legal Sabbath requirements are never repeated again. You know, Jesus taught, I'm the, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You know what I mean? So we follow him. We rest in him. I think that's how we show. It's through faith, right? So that's how we, that's how we keep, the, keep the law, so to speak, under the new covenant. Amen. And, you know, when it comes to this whole situation and, and, and having people in our lives that maybe fall into Torahism and, and begin to be Torah observant or even go as far as being Hebrew roots, um, you know, I, you're, you're somebody, you're in apologetics. You know, you're sharing the gospel. How did you come to a place where you thought, I really need to address this because this is becoming a problem? Well, so originally I had some friends that posted on Facebook, Christmas is pagan, right? There was this, and I thought, I've seen that before. I'm, I'm friends with lots of people that don't believe the same things I believe. But this was a Christian couple that we had been, been friends with. My wife and I had been friends with for years. And anyway, so I thought, oh, that's strange. I kind of, so I, you know, wrote back and I was like, oh, that, wh what's going on? buddy, you know, what's, what, I, where are you coming from on this kind of thing? Little did I know, I was like walking through the wardrobe into this whole other world that I didn't know existed. Oh yeah, you got, you know, so I stumbled onto it. And what happened was what I call the most, the most uh, rare of all literary forms. It was like a fruitful Facebook argument. So we, we went back and forth like 30,000 words and I was copying and pasting it into my Word document so I could, I could 
chase down and read through the stuff he was saying and check it against the scripture, you know? Do my best to be a Berean, right? And Amen. test what he's telling me. And in that process, I didn't think about it, but it was a public discussion, right? On Facebook, social media. People started con contacting me directly. Dude, thank you so much for, because we didn't know what to do. I'm a neighbor of theirs, and their kids are telling our kids this weird stuff, and I don't want our kids to be taught that, you know? So I started realizing, oh, this is like affecting families. And, I, and pretty soon, I start, and I still get them today, it's heartbreaking, but uh, like I just got a, a beautiful letter from a woman talking about how she kind of ended up getting backed into it, and suddenly now eventually her husband's telling her, you can't disagree with anything I tell you. You have to call him Yeshua. We don't call him Jesus. And it became the spiritual abuse. So my eyes became open to that. And I thought, I need to address this. And so my background being an, an academic and just kind of loving to study, loving to, the apologetic angle, that's kind of what drove me to write my first book. I thought, I have to really understand what, I'm, what they're talking about first and then understand how and if it's different than what scripture teaches and if it's dangerous or not. Because here's the thing. We talked about it not being monolithic. Most, I would say the overwhelming majority of Torahists believe we don't keep Torah for salvation. We keep it for uh, obedience. This is how we walk as Jesus walked. But there is a contingent, and I, in my book I kind of quoted from a couple of them, that believe. So Some guy actually told me this. Torah brings us salvation. Jesus brought us redemption. And he tried to make that distinction, you know. So when you start talking about the Torah being a matter of salvation, it's most, almost any Christian could see, now we're off the reservation. But it's, it's that middle area where they're starting to say, well, it's not for salvation, but you're walking in sin if you don't. And then people don't know what to do with that. So I wanted to just put out some material that would be helpful, hopefully. Started out as a bunch of blog articles. A pastor friend of mine said, man, we got that problem in our church. Could you turn it into a book? So I ended up writing that book, and now I got the vid YouTube channel, and so it's kind of taken a life of its own. But it's it's good. I mean, it's as I mentioned to you when we were chatting earlier. It wasn't the area I was gravitating towards, but God said, "No, no, over here." So that's where I am. You know, that's typically how it goes with apologetics. You right. have an idea, and God says, "Nope, you're yep. going to be going down this way." So this is a lot of what Torahism is about. And by the way, we're going to have you back in. in I want to have you back when I'm back in studio because He literally just handed me these books, and I'm excited to read them. And you also have divergence mm -hmm. and examining Jewish-Christian relations in the early church. And this, when I, when I saw this one, I already was like, oh, I want to sit down with him when I was told uh, by Doug here that you were, hey, hey, this guy, he wrote it against, uh, you know, Hebrew Roots Movement. I'm like, oh, awesome, man. I'd love to have him on. But then when you handed me this, I was like, well, let's just sit down and talk right now. Sure. Because yeah. I love studying the early church. My second-born son's name is Justin uh, Justice. Irenaeus. So nice. I'm a big fan. That's so awesome. when, when I look at this and see this, and a lot of people see the early church and they go, okay, anti-Semitic, you know, we kind of, this is, this is how they were. But what, what are you trying to, to, and a lot of people look at Martin Luther and some of the things that he wrote against the Jews and so forth. And, um, you know, we're somebody who supports Israel. We love Israel. Um, and we, you know, we don't want to go to a side where we're now anti-Semitic, oh, you yeah, know, and that seems to be a common thing that people are told that the Christians were all very anti-Semitic in the beginning. And in divergence, is this pr proven to be true or, or proven to be false or is there something in between? Something in between. It's, it's not nearly as bad as we hear in the conspiracy theories for sure. Um, well, this was great because I spent a lot of time reading all, a lot of the early fathers. Uh, and one thing that was astounding to me was how consistent the theology was going right from the New Testament documents into the Didache or some of these early things, you know what I mean? Like 
That's exactly what Paul said. They just reworded it. You know what I mean? So that was one thing that I thought was great because I, I'll be honest, I was, I was scared going into it because I had committed myself. I'm going where the facts lead me. At. You know, it's kind of the scholarly approach. Yeah. It may come up with some stuff that I'm embarrassed about and I don't like, but I got to go where it says. So one thing was I was really excited that the theology was consistent. And so you have things like one of the drivers for me writing this book was these claims by Torahism. Oh, yeah, the, the, they, they wanted to do everything to distance themselves from the Jewish people. Uh, that, you know, and then they bring up the Council of Nicaea and, and all these things that weren't really decreed, that they think were decreed there. So I started looking through that, and I thought, what did the Christian church think of not just the Jews, but the Jewish roots of the faith, right? And so then you see earlier, like Marcion, second century, right? He wants to throw out the Old Testament, totally a different God, etc. He wants to really chop up the New Testament, only keeping those little parts that matches theology. And I'm thinking, this is the poster boy for what the Hebrew roots wants to say is corruption, right? He's the guy, right? And then I look at him and what happened to him? Well, the church kicked him out. You know what I mean? He got excommunicated. They gave him all his money back. They didn't want any of that. And then when, uh, was it Polycarp, I think, met him and he said, what did he say? Do you, do you know me? I'm I'm Marcion or whatever. He says, of course I know you firstborn of Satan. Firstborn of Satan. Yeah, yeah. something like that. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm butchering the, it up. Yeah. The roof to fall upon us, I think Irenaeus said, yes. said of him. Yeah. So, oh, wait a second then. Wait, you're telling me that they kicked him out because he, got, he wanted to get rid of the Hebrew scriptures? So every, every canon we've ever had has fully accepted the Tanakh, the Jewish Bible, as part of our faith. So how are we, anti, how are we trying to cut those ties? You know what I mean? And you got Justin... Justin Martyr. Have you read his dialogue with Trifo? Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Unbelievable. Isaiah 53 is in there. Man. Yes. Dude, <laughs> and he, had, he didn't have Google. No, he was I just, know Oh, my gosh. But here's a guy who knew his Old Testament and was preaching Jesus as the Jewish Messiah to a fellow, or I don't know, he, he was a Gentile, but Trifo was a Hellenized Jew, yeah. So he's defending, keeping Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. So there's, so there's theologically... There is a lot of um, continuity and full acceptance of the Jewish beginnings, the Jewish roots, the beginning of the story of Christianity. But we've got some, there's some clashes. Now, what's interesting, and I didn't realize, is they go both ways. So you have in here, and I, I, I read a bunch of Jewish scholars, too, so I could get both sides, Boyerin and Cohen and some of these guys. And there was this um, benediction against the heretics that they started uh, reading, so they've got like 18 benedictions that they would read in a typical Jewish synagogue service, right? And one of them was called the Benedicts Against the Heretics, and I and talk about it in there. And it was, a, it was a way to say, essentially, if you're a Jew that believes in Jesus, you're not welcome here. So the Jews that believed in Jesus that were going to synagogues were like, I can't say that. I can't affirm that benediction. It's, it's telling me that, uh, that Jesus, the, the Nazarene, Nazari, you know, was a... Uh, was, uh, all this horrible stuff. I'm not going to get into the details here, but you get the idea. So there was, there was back and forth on both sides. So sometimes the Christians would be pushing against the Jews, the Jews would be pushing against the Christians, but it wasn't anti-Semitic. It wasn't racial, which is another interesting thing I discovered. And, I, and I, I'm quoting actually a Jewish scholar talking about why racism as a mental category didn't exist back then the way we think of it today. There was no racial theory the way we think of it. So they were... Uh, opposing the theology, which makes sense. Jesus is the Lord and Savior, God incarnate. No, he's not. Okay, we have an issue, right? So it's worth arguing about. But there wasn't this kind of, you know, like you think about with Martin Luther, some of his horrible comments or, you know, 
things we've seen throughout history. There wasn't that in the early, the first three centuries. And the point of the book is to say, what did it really look like by the time of, really that's the first ecumenical council, Nicaea, right? So what did the actual church think, believe, how did they act before we became official and legal as a religion, you know? So, yeah, that's, that, in a nutshell, that's what I came away no, with. I, I love that, man. Like you said, they didn't have Google. I, when I you know, went through the early church fathers, starting with Polycarp and moving through, even then you get into Tertullian and stuff. Yeah. He, he wrote a lot more than the other guys, so it took more longer to get through him. But you read that, and like you said, the continuity, even though if the Holy Spirit's not there, you know, right. <laughs> it's like, but like you said, you know, with Marcion, I just think it's so interesting that they obviously knew this guy's a heretic. Why? Because it doesn't match with the scriptures, right. what they already have, the graphe. I think know? it's like 280 times in the New Testament, the Old Testament's quoted. You know what I mean? So there's, there's links you can't just chop away, you know? Um, yeah, so, and, they, and they realize that. And I, that actually honestly helped my faith a lot to dive in and see what was really going on in that era. No, I think this is so great. And I'm excited, man. I, I really do want to get you in studio, especially after I've read the books, because yeah. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm glad to see someone else on the front line giving a scholarly defense for the face. I want to thank you so much for sitting down with us. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Shalom. God bless you, brother. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.